0: Hey Boomers, and welcome to episode two of Sonic the Comic the Podcast. We're your Humes who think we're in charge, I'm Chris McFeely, and with me is Dave Boomer. and we're here to be your guides to the 1990s Sega-sational comic straight out of the UK, Sonic the Comic. This episode we're looking at issue number two, which contains, according to the cover, the world's fastest blue hedgehog, a new series, Wonder Boy, in his deadliest world yet, Plus, Shinobi and Golden Axe. It's new, it's fast, it's hot, it's Sonic the Comic.
1: And it's the 12th of June of 1993, under the sweltering sunlight. Here in the UK, we do have it sometimes, and I think we had it then. Now, what age were you on the 12th of June, Dave? I think I was 11.
0: I would have just been a month out from turning 11. Oh. Gosh.
1: It does Good, seem- sure, well, now that we've admitted to that, yes. <laughs> we just crumble to dust on
0: air, and that's the rest of the podcast. It's an hour of silence and wind.
1: <laughs> well, I think this is the, the, the millennial version of crumbling to dust. Doing a podcast. We do it on air, and we do it by talking about things from the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a free gift mm. uh, of a badge, this issue, which brings me to something that I've realised just moments ago: we didn't mention the free gift that came with the first issue, Chris.
0: Didn't we? Gosh, because a... I didn't have these issues, so you oh, know I...
1: these—you know these free gifts firsthand, Dave. I did. These, but... The first issue came with a wonderful big set of free stickers. Oh, of course, the the standby. They the were stable. good. They were good. You had some Sonics. You had some Tailses. You had a couple of Robotics. You had a couple of, you know, STC logos. I think there was a couple of catchy slogans that he was supposed to stick on things. I think there was at least one instance of the Sega Pirate TV Skull, who who theoretically shouldn't have existed at that point, because we're going to hear about it soon as a thing that's just happening newly. So maybe maybe they designed those stickers after the magazine was finished, but the advert had come out. So tell us about the, the free gift for this one. Well, the free gift for this one is a badge and I can't remember anything about it. I don't know what we it We saw that like. little picture of it on the, well, the next issue page, last issue. Assuming that is the correct design. I mean, yeah. But what we have here is um, a bit of a trend because that's the first two issues now coming with free gifts, but they are both quite explicitly like merchandise of this comic mm-hmm. that you would wear to show that you read this comic rather than, say, uh, you know, some sort of foam dart firing plastic gun affair that could have come with anything.
0: Well, some, sometimes the foam dart firing guns have stickers on them that mark them as part of the merchandise mm. associated with the
1: comic. Mm, not good enough for me. No, it's stickers terrible. and badges is perfect. Control though. We've got the control zone, same as last fortnight's issue, same as every fortnight's issue. We've got a welcome screen as usual. Basically, this is going to happen every time, so there's no point in us always commentating what he says.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot we can say that's super different. I I did research one point, actually, that we brought up last time, because last issue we were comparing uh, Megadroid to Tharg of 2000 AD. And I went and looked it up, actually. um, It's a very apt comparison, because... Since 1987 and until 1994, Sonic the Comic Editor Richard Burton was the editor of 2000 AD. Right. So he w- he was Tharg. He was simultaneously Tharg and Megadroid for a, a small part of the Venn diagram. You see, so, now
1: this was what I assumed. Tell me those dates again. Uh,
0: 1987 to 1994, Richard Burton That's- was the editor of 2000 AD.
1: That is extremely interesting for a reason that's going to come up later in my notes. Here on the welcome screen this issue, though, we've got our first Humes who think they're in charge. The Humes being the humans who Megadroid complains, are, you know, think they're in charge of the comic when he actually does all of the work. Here it's said for the first time. So, ba ba ba! There's a first. Ba! Ba ba! Yeah!
0: Ba! Megadroid introduces this the segment with "Hey Boomers," which is what we
1: will be for the entirety of the comics run. We're already shortened to just "Hey Boomers" from "Hey Sonic Boomers." This, of course, now means a generation of people. Yeah, and I feel as if it meant that then. The you know baby boomers yeah, was a thing. So. I guess that was maybe it was just in the same way as Sonic Boomers it had yet to be shortened to simply boomers. I'm sure I remember
0: some letters from readers later in the series where they would ask what boomers meant because it was never really <laughs>
1: restated as things went on. We have uh, a section called World of Sega Racing to the Future in which we have an interview with uh, racing driver Damon Hill done, presumably, at the Sega Challenge mentioned in last issue's News Zone. Uh, um, yeah, they, in, in fact, it says in here that that's where he did it. Oh, does it? Oh, well, there you go. Yes. Now, the text implies that Damon Hill's a bit of an up-and-comer at this stage, so I looked it up, and yeah, it seems as if this may have been his first year, at least in the big spotlight. He got there by way of a lengthy career working his way up. So he wasn't new to it in any real sense, but that might have been the first year he became a household name. And we learned why he was at the Sega Championship in the first place. It's because Sega were one of the main sponsors of his team. And according to Wikipedia, this was a big deal at the time because that team was in some kind of financial dire straits. So they were in trouble. In steps Sonic. And STC here implies that somebody in a Sonic costume was placed in the pit stop as a bit of a advertising gimmick leading to their competitors painting squashed hedgehogs on their cars whenever they beat them. <laughs>
0: And then over on the right, as always, there are the Sega charts. Um, I I don't think we'll do a full rundown of them like (laughs) we did last time, but we can see what the new entrants were. Just this lovely little time capsule. Uh, New at number four on the Mega Drive chart was Another World. And then New at number one was Super Kickoff, and uh, I didn't play any of those or either of those. Uh, Dave, did, did you? Uh,
1: no, I played the original Kickoff, um, but not Super Kickoff. And, hey, it was a football game. I couldn't possibly care about it. Ditto. But... It's, I think it is worth looking at the fact that Another World has jumped in because Another World kind of represented a sort of a look to the future of games. This, this was at a time when games were sort of in flux, as you can see by the fact that there's this constant reference to the Mega Drive and its attempts to move gaming into whatever the next era happens to be. And as it turned out, the next era was like polygonal 3D, but we didn't know that yet. So you've got Full motion video games coming out you've got people are throwing things at the wall and they don't quite know what to do and the last uh, issue we had mention of this anime racing game that was essentially just a, mm. a recorded animated cartoon that you had quick time events to to play the next bit of um another world is like a, a different approach at that it's like a fully animated gaming experience except it is all done what we would now call in engine i suppose with sort of vectors and rotoscoping and things, and it's a very interesting game, and I think it's an Amiga and Atari ST game. Oh, and over. Yeah, so this is an example of the consoles seeing if they can do what computers do, which, again, is going to be a bit of a running theme. We'll leave that there for now until we get to it. Sonic!
0: This issue's Sonic story is called Robofox. Robofox.
1: Um... We've got a script here from a chap called... Let me look it up. He's called Mark Miller. I don't... I, I googled. I, no, I, you know, I, I don't know everything about all the creators, so I... Doesn't seem to be, no. Can't remember everyone entirely clearly, so I googled him. He's an up-and-coming 24-year-old kid who's done some work for 2000 AD at this point, and something called Crisis. Crisis was a recently closed, in the summer of 93, attempt to make a 2000 AD for mature readers. Oh, wow, that's weird. And at the moment... Um, Mr. Miller is uh, running something called the Summer Offensive at uh, 2000 AD, in which the editor gave Mark and Grant Morrison and John Smith free reign to write whatever they wanted over the summer. But it was when I was looking that up that I discovered uh, information which contradicts something that you've already been Googling. So our, our Googling has has turned up oh, contradictory information because what I found was that that summer, the editor of 2000AD was not as I had assumed Richard Burton, but apparently Alan McKenzie, the writer of issue one's Sonic script and our ongoing Shinobi story. <laughs> Hello there, Editor Dave here, just stepping in. Uh, I actually asked Twitter about this while I was editing the podcast, and no less than 2000AD, or rather whoever it is that runs the 2000AD Twitter account, uh, replied to this with an excerpt from a book called Thrill Power Overload, 40 Years of 2000AD by David Bishop. And the relevant passage here says, Burton was still, nominally, editor of 2000AD, but his time was consumed by launching Sonic the Comic. Mackenzie was effectively running 2000AD, helped by Tomlinson. So there we go. Burton and Mackenzie were both essentially the editor, uh, although at the time it was Mackenzie who was actually doing the work over at 2000AD while, uh, while Burton did STC. So there you go. Thanks, at 2000AD uh, Twitter, whoever it is that runs that.
0: It's that Mark Miller, guys. Not to, Not to bury the lead, but this is... The Authority, The Ultimates, yeah. Old Man yeah. Logan, this is that... Ma- Kick-Ass, The Secret yeah. Service, this is that
1: Mark Miller doing Sonic the Hedgehog. One of the most successful comics writers of the modern age. And here we have what must be one of his earlier works. It's it's not... This isn't where he began. He, he was already working mm, at this mm, stage. Mm, and mm. Um, as I understand it, the story goes, he wanted to save up some money for an engagement ring. And so that, that was why he wrote for, for Sonic the Comic, because that, it was a job that was going, and he could quite quickly um, bank a few Sonic stories, hand them in, and uh, get paid and move on.
0: <laughs> yes, because this is not the only time we will see his name. His name will appear not infrequently during the first 20? Uh, 20-odd issues of the series? Because he'd put a few stories in the bank, and they would roll them out as needed. With edits That's where right. appropriate. And,
1: um, We'll be talking about the uh, the story uh, here in brief in a moment. Um, It's fairly throwaway, Mm. but it does definitely show you that this is someone who's sort of just sort of good at writing comics more or less with his eyes closed. Last issue, we talked up the fact that Sonic the Comic has this uh, flavor that other Sonic media. Uh, or rather, Sonic Media outside of our country, didn't have. It did give you the world of Sonic that we'd previously seen in the games, which over in America, they simply didn't bother with, and as far as I can see, uh, neither did they in, in anything in Japan. This issue is not a very good example of that, but it's got some stuff. And then very quickly, in the next issue, Mark really starts putting in some stuff from the games. We'll get there when we get there. And we have Art from Woodrow Phoenix, now a highly acclaimed comics artist who works in a variety of genuinely different styles and is quite highbrow. Um, then he was a letterer, working at basically all UK comics publishers and doing what might be some of his first comics artwork, unless Wikipedia's not telling me something. Uh, suffice to say that this issue is pretty rough looking. This was the era when Sonic the Comic didn't quite yet know that it was going to rise to the top of the heap mm. of UK comics publications, and so, as with a lot of tie-in comics, it was throwing things together without, shall we say, a consistency of quality. And I think it's, I think it's reasonable to say that uh, both Mark and Woodrow here would not say this was among their best work. Yeah, that's um, fair indeed. I went in expecting to think it was all really really bad that's not what happened I-, I had a decent enough time reading this and then i talked to my wife abby who remembers this issue with great excitement and fondness hmm. the reason being that she had been well aware that issue one had been bereft of tales and she was looking forward to seeing him and when we see him he's a cyborg yeah that's really cool and uh, that was how she saw
0: it. <laughs> uh, like, l- last uh, episode, again, we, uh, in addition to talking about the world of the games, we also talked about the um, specific kind of edgy cool that Sonic and Sega were in the UK, that they, they really weren't in other parts of the world. Yeah. And if you have any familiarity with Mark Miller's later work, you know... Um, Edge and he are are two things that go very closely together, and I, I th- it's definitely on show even as early as something like this um, yeah. with a Sonic that is very. I mean, he at one point he literally pulls sunglasses out of a bag and puts them on, <laughs> <Yes>. you know. <laughs> Kinda sorta following on from the end of Last Issue, in which Sonic departed to look for Tails, fearing that he might have been in trouble, Um, he can't find him, and discovers that the population of the entire Green Hill Zone has been uh, captured by Robotnik. He uh, meets up with uh, one little rabbit who was left behind, finds out what's going on, straps on his new, power grip trainers, I don't know Uh, and then zips off across the zone smashing badniks dealing with hazards across the way until he catches up with Robotnik and discovers that he's transformed Tails into a cyborg not a full badnik not a full animal inside the metal shell type of thing but a a literal sort of Robocop Tails Uh, a a Robofox if you will they fight a little but of course when a robot jeez I almost called him Eggman
1: Mm, oh no get out right podcast cancelled I know
0: that's it podcast (laughs) done wow And, of course, they fight for a little bit, but uh, when Robotnik steps in to finish Sonic off, Tills' inner goodness overpowers the badnik programming, he takes down Robotnik, and all's well that ends well.
1: So, all the way through here, um, Woodrow is having a good guess at what the Green Hill Zone might look like, without quite getting it right. (laughs) (laughs) I get the sense that he has seen it, but it was, you know, round someone else's house and hasn't actually been given (laughs) reference, so... Generic trees and hills, not a checkerboard pattern to be found. So, it's a it's a nice sort of woodland area, but it's it could be anyone's woodland area, couldn't it?
0: And I said, of course, that it kind of sort of follows on, it doesn't really at all. I think this puts paid to what we had speculated at the end of the previous issue, which is that they had just. Written in that little uh, continuity reference uh, into last issue <laughs> script to lead into this one, because of course this issue presents Sonic as having just come back from the
1: from the, the marble, marble Zone, zone. yes. Whereas um, yes. he was in the Green Hill Zone last issue as well, which makes me wonder because in the next issue he'll be in the Marble Zone. So could it be that they were they were these are printed out of what the original production order was, or could it be that? Oh no! This—they were just making a reference to Sonic. I'm—I'm I'm gonna go with that one. I think it probably <laughs> is that as well. Yeah. On page one, we we meet this little rabbit, and um, now as we've previously discussed, um, these comics were very much sort of married to the, or at least they felt like they were tied to the the other media that had already come out, the books and so on, mm. in which we are given the names for these little animals, because, or at least for some of them, uh, in the games when you bop a badnik out comes a little animal and somewhere along the line uh before before the first game came out i think um someone and i think it was madeline Schroeder, gave names to these little animals and most of them were well some of them were just sort of jokes like mm. walker lewis and joe sushi um which i honestly uh joe sushi i assume that's like because he's like well he's not a fish but do you know what I mean I think it's a joke about that it's like hey what am I Joe yeah. Sushi over here but like um, at the time I was trying to figure out what this was and of course when I saw the name Joe Musashi oh, the name of Shinobi himself I was like is Joe Sushi a joke about huh. Joe Musashi and then never occurred to me maybe yeah you know that that was something that that I considered um, but in the end I decided it must of course be a reference to newsreader John Sushi oh right Of course. (laughs) Which, of course, it also isn't. (laughs) I mean, I I don't think that this little rabbit is Johnny Lightfoot. Well, that's why I bring it up, yeah. The rabbit who looks exactly like this in the games would have been named Johnny Lightfoot, but he isn't called Johnny Lightfoot anywhere in this comic, so I think we can assume it's just a rabbit. rabbit.
0: I think at least one of the iterations of the early Sonic canon or the Bible uh, described all the animal friends as having big families (laughs) as a way of explaining why there were so many. Of the uh, rabbit. And, you know, what creature, more so than a rabbit, would, in terms of pop culture, have a huge family? So uh, maybe this is Johnny's second
1: nephew, twice removed on his dad's side or something. He's one of his friends and relations. And, of course, this rabbit doesn't recognize Sonic. Always a little weird when you see that. Yeah, I can't. It's like, who doesn't know Sonic? Yeah. So, as you mentioned before, Sonic puts on his cool dude shades. When exactly did Shades? become become cool (laughs) what was it what because all the way through i don't know if this is even still true but all the way through our childhoods if you wanted to make someone look cool draw sunglasses on them that was how you did it and it was just a shorthand we all understood somewhere in our past people wore sunglasses and pop culture as a thing agreed that 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 the fact that they were in a sunny place meant that they were super cool and that if you wanted to look super cool put those shades on was it because you know there was a particularly sunny place that all the cool people were from (laughs) or was it because people elsewhere to the sunny places started to put the sunglasses on ironically because they weren't in sunny places and that was really cool i don't know the answer i never really thought about it but i suppose it probably something to do with la culture the home of hollywood the makers of pop culture probably (laughs) I looked this up. I found this out. Um, it's that actresses in Hollywood used to get like uh, red eyes because of the flash bulbs that paparazzi cameras had in those days. Were you know, like the you know probably the kind that smoke used to come out of. It was like a long time ago. They used to irritate their eyes, and that didn't look good in the pictures. So they started wearing sunglasses, and then so because of that, that started to be like associated with glamour and wealth. So that's why. There you go. Don't say you don't learn anything from STZTB. Now, the script is a little bit confused here on whether Sonic needs special shoes or not. Yeah. I feel like it's not the last time we would see it, either. Y- yeah, well, we're, go- we're going to see it again next issue, and it's going to contradict this. So then Mark has Sonic bouncing along a, a row of fish badniks, which, of course, is straight out of the Green Hill Zone. Straight out of the game, yeah. And then Robotnik shows up with not just a cyborg version of Tails, but with his wrecking ball fixture on his egomatic, which you were saying was conspicuously yeah. missing from the previous issue. Well, here it is. The first boss of the Green Hill Zone um, revisited slightly late into the, the life of the comic, I think Especially since this is the Tales issue You'd think they would be going Emerald Hill this time round
0: And they would later sort of make the Emerald Hill Zone The the base of operations for everything But even at this point, I feel like In terms of, you know, once again uh, We can only speak from sort of our our pop culture's point of view But the Green Hill Zone was still very much default sonic yes. in your mind's eye you know i mean it is still it's today crazy. really isn't yeah, it yeah
1: uh, without question i would have them all living in the green hill zone if i was writing comics mark miller seems to favor uh, a type of badnik which is s- sort of a-, a thinking creature rather than you know just just a machine yes and the- th- so these guys are going like we don't like sonic not something
0: we would really see a lot of going forward, but something I actually no. really really like for some reason. I don't know why, but mm. I do. I, I, well, it gives them personality. It means they can have bits of banter. Yeah, and this is something um, that Archie did do. Um, they in the yep. early issues of Archie did have the Badniks as uh, characters with um, mm-hmm. personalities, and they and they could have banter. I like this this exchange between the two Buzz Bombers. I've got
1: an idea. Let's kill it. <laughs> (laughs) that's very very mark (laughs) millary yes you have that cartoon trope of one bad guy saying i've got an idea and the other one saying what the idea was um here makes perfect sense because they are robots so they probably would generate the same ideas but then when bopped out of them um an animal i'm going to choose to name sally acorn because Hmm. she's the sally acorn design says wow cute and cuddly again um from which i interpreted that they're sort of aware like their minds are they, they get brainwashed to become evil robots and being freed sets them back again. That's how I read that line. What do you think?
0: Uh, it never occurred to me. I think they just have an awareness of what had happened to them, was how
1: I yeah. always read it. And you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not made of metal anymore. And yet, um, Tails does seem to have gone through some kind of brainwashing procedure, because he says, I always hated when you got to go off on adventures and I had to stay in the Green Hill Zone, which is odd, because... Tails does go on adventures with Sonic, mm. like in Sonic Two, the thing that Tails is from. <laughs> maybe this is set before Sonic Two, maybe that's why you know that. Maybe that is Johnny Lightfoot, and he doesn't recognise Sonic because oh no, he. I think in the story wasn't he yeah, instrumental no,
0: once, in? Once we get to Sonic's world, to it'll all be.
1: <laughs> oh, they cover that, of <laughs> they, course they, they do. It I'm thinking to... of Stay Sonic, but yes, but um, yes, yeah, so also
0: I think Johnny's the one who teaches Sonic to run fast.
1: There you go. Yeah. Um so tails overcomes his programming of course and does a spin attack into the into the agamatic which explodes in an explosion i drew a lot of times i copied this <laughs> yeah, drawing it's really yeah yeah because it's got these columns of smoke coming out it's got fire bits it's it's very interesting to look at you knew I... all
0: the things that were supposed to make up an explosion yes. but not necessarily how they were supposed to go together <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i like it um <laughs> And uh, lots more uh, acknowledgements of the fact that Robotnik is, in some way, that we'll find out later. An egg man, Tails says, (laughs) get away from my pal egg breath. And then, after it's all done, Robotnik flies away, saying, Curse those little creeps, one I can cope with, but two, I'd rather watch a whole episode of El Dorado. No, Dave. (laughs) for for, For the Americans
0: in the audience,
1: would you like to explain that one? So here in the uk as in the us we have a rich history of watching soaps the difference is that american soaps are sort of a bit more i don't know magical realism whereas here we had a kind of melodramatic a, certainly here we had a, a, a grittier flavor of soap opera at least within my lifetime and so it was sort of they were kind of looked on as fairly serious dramas at least to the point where it was completely socially acceptable and ordinary for everybody to watch them and so the major channels all had um, their own soap you had EastEnders you had Coronation Street and at some point and I confess I don't know who did this one of them wanted to make another one start another big soap and it was called El Dorado and I only know one thing about El Dorado it was such a disaster (laughs) and it was so universally loathed despite its great, triumphant, you know, all the trumpets that heralded its coming, that it was it was a national joke mm-hmm. for years. I remember. It's in the popular consciousness as one of the great TV failures. It really was, and I don't actually know why. I d- I, yeah, no, I- not a clue. Never watched it, obviously. No, because it was gone within, what, however soon you could act something, that's how quickly it was acted. <laughs>
0: And speaking of things coming to an end, that's where this story comes to an end. But yes. you had a point you wanted to make about Sonic's shoes, Dave. Well, they
1: they have melted. Yes, they haven't they haven't weathered the uh the supersonic speed. As the two of them sort of walk away into the sunset, Sonic says, Good job, I don't need special shoes. The power in me is awesome enough as it is. Now, that is a confusing amount of like true and not true within continuity of sonic because <laughs> it, it, they the, his shoes in continuity in a continuity which we are soon going to find out is the stc continuity are in fact special shoes like absolutely for definite they're special it's not the case that they give him magic speed power or anything so it's sort of weirdly uh, balanced, doing a tightrope balance between correct and incorrect this line don't you think i
0: yeah, I mean, he does I mean, the, uh, the shoes, as I recall, it was just simply that they were uh, frictionless and had power grip. Yes, which are the opposite things to each other. Uh, yes. Like, frictionless is having no grip. <laughs> but, Nancy, no, you're assuming that they reduce friction on the sole, but I'm assuming that they reduce friction in the sense of, of uh, wind resistance and pushback. Well, what? How do they affect the wind and the air? because they're magic, Dave. Oh, so... <laughs> they're, ah. made out of, they're made by a mad scientist. They're the things that allow Sonic to glide through the world at high speeds because because he encounters no friction.
1: So these, then, are our two different approaches to interpreting that story. You've gone with magical realism. Well, magic. And I've gone with science fiction. Like, hard sci-fi. Like, the guys developed just genuinely better shoes.
0: I feel like Stay Sonic might have explained it a little better. <laughs>
1: i don't know i feel like i would have remembered if it did but hey i think we need to find ourselves a copy of stay sonic going forward on this podcast don't we here's what i'm gonna head about this i'm gonna say that it's like that um the material which i now can't remember if is it just in science fiction stories or is a real thing where it can stop a bullet because it suddenly gets hard when something hits it really fast Oh, when struck yeah. Cornflyer, I believe it's called. Cornflyer. <laughs> <laughs> but my theory is that the, the sneakers' soles are like that, in that when you start off slow, think start of the Green Hill Zone, you start running slow, plenty of friction there. But as your speed builds up, then they they start a slipping, so that you're not slowed down by your contact with the ground. You're just essentially using it to like a rudder, just to steer yourself in the right direction. So the faster you're running, the less friction they they give you. That's what I'm going with.
0: I'm sure that the scientific difference between speed and acceleration factors into this somehow. Oh, but no. uh, I don't we know. Need a, we need a science. we need a scientist to help us with this one. Yeah, that that would be yeah. a good spin-off episode wouldn't it? The science of sonic and get someone in who could uh, <laughs> validate all of this. Yeah, I guess it would. Let's let's see if we can do that. Scientists Get in touch. Tell me more about the cobalt effect <laughs> and how it turns
1: things blue. <laughs> review zone. Yeah, review, review zone. zone. We've got the Review Zone. We've got a couple of pages of reviews. So I'll just mention what we've got. We've got Jungle Strike, um, a review here which is not afraid to use the phrase South American drug baron in a children's comic. Because
0: video games weren't afraid.
1: We ha- Yeah, we have Final Fight, which shows... Quote what the Mega CD can do for games playing. Yeah, I never played a Final Fight game, but it looks it looks fairly well from this the screenshots mm. they have okay. here. Uh, a glowing review for Batman Returns, which shows what the Mega CD can actually do. What we have here is a game that was already out on the Mega Drive as a, as a fairly generic platformer. Um, no I had played the Mega Drive. Had you? I hadn't. Was it any good? I never, been, I never beat it. No? I enjoyed it, but I never beat it. Oh, that's that's me with almost any game I've enjoyed. <laughs> I'm not a game finisher. I'm a game dabbler. But here on the Mega CD, it's uh, augmented with some some relatively impressive driving sections using um, a, a version of 3D very similar to, you know, what we know from the Sonic CD special zones and so on. You have to drive between the levels, essentially. And then, and this is really what's worth bringing up in this one, we've got a review of Night Trap. Night Trap. Night Trap, a game famous for being thought of when it came out as a sort of video nasty You know, it really is the equivalent of reviewing Evil Dead in a children's comic or something, the way it was seen at the time. I haven't played it, and I understand that some of that, or maybe all of that, reputation was perhaps ill-deserved. And and that's what they're trying to say here. It says, Forget all the rabid media attention this game received some time back. Night Trap is actually one of the most exciting games to hit the Mega CD yet which is a condemnation of the Mega CD if ever I saw one. <laughs> I think it was just one of those things that the media turned its attention to. But, but it absolutely did. So regardless of what it actually is like, it's, I, I genuinely think it's brave. I think it's an interesting point that they, that they mentioned it at all in a comic that yeah, yeah. parts of absolutely are aimed at young children, and other parts are not. And here this review is sort of um, adjacent on the page to Shinobi, so I guess this is the grown-up section of the comic that we're looking at right now. And then the last review is for something called Steel Talons, which I've never heard and of. And about which I, I couldn't possibly care. It's uh, flight sim, it seems to be, but with... Oh, yeah, the dullest thing imaginable. With some amount of combat involved, there are missions that, that you're given. I had a little look uh, on YouTube, and I and I switched it off before i found out inf- any information because it's so outside my interest range i definitely feel like the reviews
0: in this one are tending towards more so than last issue the uh corporate press releasey sort of style of yeah. of um air quotes review not that they're necessarily glowing reviews of the things or anything Uh, it's just that the body text is largely just kind of like a bullet pointed list of what's in the game yes more or less now and to my memory the magazine wouldn't always be like that but this one more so certainly than issue one that really jumped out at me
1: Yes, and it must be a deliberate uh, choice because, uh, as we've established, the chap who created Mean Machines is doing mm. most of the reviews here. So this is a man who's used to reviewing games for a games magazine and who here is is clearly just essentially telling you they exist. Um, something we didn't mention last uh, episode is that there's a fast facts box yes, yes. next to every game, which gives you the usual, you know, Uh, graphics 80 sound 80 here made to look a bit like graphic equalizers and then you have the price and we learn that the average price of a Mega Drive or indeed Mega CD game, which appear to be going for more or less the same price as each other, was thirty nine ninety nine, and more expensive ones were forty nine ninety nine, a completely unattainable amount of money in nineteen ninety three. They really were. It must have been like having a new extension put on the house each Christmas. <laughs> and then it sums up with the uh, raves and graves which is to say good things and bad things in a very quick and pithy quote.
0: Pros and cons, cheers and jeers.
1: And then an overall percentage. That's how reviews work. So there you go, I've told you that now. We need never mention that again. I do hope we see some reviews
0: uh, as we go along for stuff
1: we actually own. Oh, exactly. Yeah, come on. I mean, I didn't have many Mega Drive games, but I had Mega Drive games. I didn't have that many either, but yeah. Shinobi. Shinobi. One, two, three. The Fear Pavilion. Part two, And uh, we're simply told, in a box here, in what would ordinarily be a recap caption, it says Night, Ibakari Province, Japan. Ninja Master Joe Musashi has breached the stronghold of the Zed, a renegade ninja organisation who have kidnapped his lady love, Naoko. And that presents itself as a recap. Yes. Except we didn't know we that. We didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, we had the dr- as we noted last issue, we had
0: the dramatic announcement on the final panel that Musashi was here to find the girl. But uh, And we, we thought perhaps this could be the story setting it up to reveal that's what it was about. But no, like Golden Axe and like Wonder Boy, it turns out that the strip does trade on... Not to be fair to it, it's different from those two in that it does not trade on the presumption that you have played the game but that you do at least know what the game is about already.
1: I suppose you could levy the same accusation at the Sonic strips of this and last issue because the comic assumes we know what Tails is before we meet him.
0: Yes, but I feel like with Sonic that is different because he is a mascot character and it's mm-hmm. it's his comic and I think it's kind of presumed yeah. that you're not going to be picking up and buying the comic if you don't know that already whereas these are uh, although they are they do represent three quarters of the rest of the magazine they're still very much the backup strips
1: yeah it's interesting that this was how it was done because in america and i realized that not everything america does automatically makes it the sensible idea but <laughs> they did go we're making a sonic comic so page one to page last it was a sonic comic whereas mm. here It was just like, hey, let's just chuck in stuff from Sega, because that's what Sonic fans are into. And they were right. Of course, it wasn't because, despite the title, they weren't really
0: making a Sonic comic. They were making a a, a Sega video game magazine for kids that happened to have comics in it, and they led with Sonic because... Mm.
1: Sonic. (laughs) Oh, it was dead good, Sonic the comic. I really liked it. <laughs> Dead good, wasn't it? Well, you know what we should do? We should do like a podcast let's... about it or something. Well, before we before we get too deep into that idea, let's just see what happened in, in this story, and, and then we can think about podcasts bit, later. Yeah, so, get, get this out of the way first, yeah. So he confronts the neo zed guides. They attack. There's a page and a half of fighting before he manages to loop Chain... Around one of their necks. Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. I was like, whoa, whoa, "What is that?" And it's his own chain. He's got a nunchuck. So, like, Joe—that's the name of the ninja in this. Joe. I know,
0: and it's his name from the from the game yeah. too.
1: It's not a comic thing. No, which, no, no. But yeah. So, Joe. Um. He. Uh, yeah. He grabs the nunchuck off the other guy, wraps it around his neck, and uh, fights off loads of other guys who are trying to attack him with the guy still chained, and then just starts to strangle the guy until he tells him where Naoko is, and, like, there's this effect of, like, everything going sort of pinkish-purple, and I choose to think that that's, you know, the guy's-eye view of the world as he loses consciousness. Definitely. Well, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, And it turns out that uh, she isn't here and never was. This whole pavilion is a trap, with each floor guarded by a martial arts master that he's going to have to work his way through. Now... I don't know much about these things but i believe that this is the plot of a film called game of death which was bruce lee's final film and which i've seen credited and i can't confirm this but i've seen this film credited with introducing the concept of levels guarded by an end of level boss because i believe in that film they are called levels and They are called bosses, and that might be where gaming got it. Oh, wow, that's because this is not the plot, uh, aside from the fact that it's about
0: rescuing the Naoko, uh, this isn't the plot of Revenge of Shinobi or anything. This isn't no, the setup no. of of Revenge of Shinobi. It it's it is, it turns out, what gives the serial its name, the Fear Pavilion. Yeah. But it's super video gamey. And that's fascinating. If yeah. it's if it's if it's a deliberate homage to the martial arts movie that might have inspired the idea of levels and bosses in video games, that <laughs> may wow, that just pushed this I mean I already enjoy this. That's <laughs> already still the best strip in the comic, but that just knocked yeah. it up several star ratings in my estimation. <laughs>
1: It's certainly meta, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's great. I love that.
1: And so uh, we end on him going down to the next level. I believe Bruce Lee had to go up. Um, but he goes down to the next level, and he he meets the first boss, which is revealed to us with, with great surprise. It's a, a an old guy just meditating yes, in a, a ring of candles. A holy I,
0: man of some kind.
1: I don't know if he's from the game or not. This I do not know. I should have looked it up. Mm, I don't know. Mm. Um, I'm just Googling now, Shinobi bosses, and I'll have... Whoa, Kreikles! there's some interesting-looking shinobi bosses. <clears throat> whoa, I mean, one of them looks just like Shredder. One of them's a sort of a bat guy. One of them is the skeleton of a dinosaur, but with still its guts in. Video games, everybody! And one of them is just like a big gutsy monster covered in pipes, and, like, its teeth are like tentacles, and it's just... Whoa, I'm gonna have to get back into this game. Yeah, video games are weird. They're really weird. So what do you think? Does this issue of Shinobi keep up the quality you enjoyed in the last one? It does to me. It definitely does, yeah. And it's yeah. it's interesting to notice again. It's quite... um,
0: it, Uneventful isn't the right word. It's a quick hit. Yeah. Musashi takes down four guys in a room and then goes down a flight of stairs. That's it. That's the whole strip, you know? Yeah. But it's, it's proper pulse-pounding
1: action. Yeah. It's a single moment of a fight, each issue, told over five pages. And it it really does show a command of timing here because i mm. never felt bored um even though all i was looking at for most of the time was just drawings of guys fighting there was a narrative to it and i and i do not know of course without having the script to look at whether that was down to the script writer alan mckenzie or whether that was john howard's uh, own creation you know whether this was done with the marvel method or not but um i don't know but there's certainly invention going on in the in the drawings um the the third page is built around some sort of what's the word for japanese letters uh a a character i don't speak the language so i couldn't tell you if that's a real one or if it means anything or not Mm. um i mean
0: the the whole gen the general artistry of shinobi and it will only increase as mm -hmm. we as the series moves along There's a lot of, yeah, you know, Japanese martial arts movies. and I mean, um,
1: this strikes me as two people paying homage to films they enjoy and doing it well. Yes, from the actual
0: staging and action to the little ornate borders and backgrounds, and the monotone thing as Musashi throttles the Zed ninja. We'll see a lot of that going forward as well. Right.
1: I'm really glad to hear that there's going to be plenty more Shinobi. At the time, I was like, oh, the boring men fighting. I don't care about this. Give me some Sonic, but... Now I'm like yes, gimme! Can't wait. I forgot to mention I spotted the backwards cue. Oh, oh! The backwards
0: cue? <laughs> first I page. Didn't wear. First page of Shinobi. Um, last panel. I have no quarrel with you. Oh gosh! I've, yeah, and it's 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 not quite backwards well, though, is it? I was about it's to like say that. It's like a
1: regular Q but drawn italic. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. I was about to say that same thing, but actually, it kind of is in the sense that the little tick is coming out of the bottom left instead of the bottom right, but it. It just looks natural because yes, it's sort of italicised. But it's like a it's like a power button. Yeah. Um, with the with the tick at
0: the bottom, and then the italic is is uh, it's not so much that it's cutting into the left hand side of the circle so much as it is that the the line itself is just at an angle. I wonder
1: then if Ellie Deville might be left-handed. Because that... Oh, that's an interesting question. It would be more comfortable that way, wouldn't it? I, I guess so. I don't know. Are you left-handed? No. No, I'm
0: right not either, so... And I
1: draw my cues the right way around. <laughs> <laughs> well, me too. And by, you know, there, there we go. That's uh, that's the control group. <laughs> news Zone. Pew, pew, boof, doof. And this issue in the News Zone... Um, We start with news of an upcoming Sega mouse and four-player controllers coming soon. This one really confused me. A mouse. A mouse. No, I did own
0: the multi-tap, because I had three brothers. Ah. Had? What have you done to them? (laughs) Many of them have moved away. (laughs) So it was almost a necessity for certain games, you know, to have that, and for friends coming around and stuff like that. Sure, but a mouse. But a mouse is, yeah, yeah, that's... uh... You get
1: even more taps out of a mouse. See? Because... Because you would tap. Because tap, it's like... It's as if you tap the buttons. Yeah, it's, tap. It's, I get nah, it. We, yes. we, call, like, we called uh, it clicks uh, in those days. That's not very good. Um, you should do podcasts. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> they, I like that they have to explain what a mouse is. Because it's... I know, yeah. They're just talking about how it's got two buttons on the top with a rollerball underneath. And you can move it around and it moves stuff around. Like, in those days, hey, it was actually reasonable. To assume that your readers may not have known what a mouse was, because not everyone had a computer. Certainly,
0: I've told you the story before, Dave, but I did not have a home computer until
1: 1999. Oh, my God. That that just... it, It hit me completely afresh. That number, 1999. <laughs> yeah, and, you, and you're and you talking about, you don't just mean in the modern sense of a computer, you mean anything. Not a spectrum, nothing. Oh god, no. No spectrums,
0: no, uh, no, 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 no. The, only, the first, again, the first home video game console I had was the Mega Drive. Yeah. Wow. No, 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 no. The first home video game console I had
1: was the Mega Drive. So before your Mega Drive, did you just like did you have a hoop and stick did you have a whip and top that was exactly <laughs> what i was going to say hoop and stick that's what i was going to say readers we're we're not that old okay we're not <laughs> so this mouse has the unique feature Quote that you can turn it upside down and use it as a trackball. That's weird. I don't really
0: understand that.
1: Well, here's what I'm thinking right? I mean, technically, you could do that with any mouse. That's (laughs) what I'm thinking. So you turn it upside down, you've got your fingers on the buttons, you're using the rollerball underneath it like a trackball you could do that with any mouse so i looked this up i went on youtube to try and find footage of this or a review to see if i could see this in action and and no um in fact i couldn't see anyone who even owned this mouse a completely different version came out in america saw a couple of videos about that but they were only really reviewing the software you could use it with um, as a mouse it seems to function perfectly well as a mouse but i wonder if that trackball thing was a bit of desperate copy put in by someone who'd had a fiddle with it and just needed to fill a column
0: 25 quid for a mouse by the way yeah, it was a different time
1: Uh, Rent-A-Cart oh I love
0: this this is fantastic (laughs) talk about this show being a time capsule I know Rent-A-Cart try before you buy scheme kicks off in video shops this is about how Blockbuster and Ritz were going to start offering video
1: games to rent think of that Imagine it!
0: I remember whenever I did not have a blockbuster, I had a uh, Extra Vision. Was uh-huh. the name of our local store. Um, but I remember when they started renting video games. I, uh, I think don't Jurassic remember Jurassic Park. I think was the first game that I uh, rented.
1: Can I say? Uh, you know, I have never rented a game, and that's not because you know we were super rich and bought all our games. No, I just had very few games. Mm. All my games. If I had a birthday. Then I might get a game. Mm. If it was Christmas, I might get a game. That was how I got my games. Yeah. Apart from that, they were all—they all had to be borrowed off friends, and then you had to swap. Oh well, we all did that, yeah. didn't we? So no, I never ever rented a game because my mum was, well, frankly, quite reasonably against the concept of paying for a night with a game one night. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's one thing if it, it's like, a night for a film is like sure you watch the film you're done you know. Two pounds per cart. It says here, and this is for overnight only at present, so play fast. And that's right! you no, you you do need a game for more than one night so that cost is absolutely yeah. going to certainly
0: w- when you were a little kid anyway when your stupid little hands and face the, <laughs> yeah, you absolutely needed time to beat a again yeah.
1: i had a particularly stupid face i
0: mean it's like it's the thing is like back then games were almost sort of i should say this is sort of like how i kind of always felt about them but it was always like games were really they were just for playing they
1: weren't for beating oh yeah absolutely I still feel that now. You know, so it didn't really matter if you only had it for one night. (laughs) The Sega bus! Yes! The news that you can go on a bus and there's games on the bus and it tells you the tour dates, which is very useful, because how else are you supposed to know where it is? We I, didn't I'm, have
0: the internet, we had to rely on print media to bring us this yeah. news. And then we have the news of... Uh, before we get to that, Dave, I, I was going to ask but I assume the fact you've moved on directly is you you never
1: got on the Sega bus. I never got on the Sega bus, and I'll tell you the exact circumstances of my not getting on the Sega bus.
0: Oh, there's a tragic story.
1: There is a tragic story, and it will be expounded on in full in a thing I'm currently working on. So I'll only say now that... um. <sighs> I was at Games Master Live. And that doesn't mean I went to a filming of the show Games Master. It means I went to the games convention that Games Master sponsored and set up. And uh, early on in its life, I think, you know, a couple of months after it, the, the the show started originally. And what that means is that it was the tail end of 1992, and Sonic 2 was yet to be released, or at least maybe it was just out. And so I was in this convention, center trying out you know i was seeing joysticks in the shape of the terminator i was trying out virtual reality a brand new concept and i saw these stickers all over the floor of sonic and tails leaning on the on the two the one that was an exclusive badge last week (laughs) yeah yeah and i they were all over the floor and i I finally i saw a grown-up a woman wearing one and for some reason my parents pointed at her and said we'll ask. I went over and, and I asked where, where did you get that because I want one and she said I got it in there and she pointed to the Sega bus and there it was <gasps> parked within the convention centre two storeys and on that bus were children playing the new Sonic game. Sonic 2. First time I'd ever seen it running. And the queue was so long that genuinely I wouldn't have got on the bus by close of day. So she just peeled hers off and stuck it on my cardigan and sent me on my way. Wasn't she nice? Shout out to whoever you were. If you happened to be, I mean, clearly you weren't a big Sonic fan or you would have kept your thing. unless, Unless you were just a saint who was a huge Sonic fan and yet was prepared to give away your sticker and are now listening to this. Thank you, I do remember.
0: Of course, I never got anywhere near the Sega bus because it never came over here to ireland but of
1: course i'm glad you had a story (laughs) pirate tv storms the airwaves and this is just an article basically saying that there's a new advert by sega but it is relevant to us because first off it does star our barber from the cyber razor cut advert yes
0: actor uh what's his name steve o'donnell steve
1: o'donnell i said before that i didn't i was too young to know who he was only just it turns out he's from bottom oh okay i didn't know that we are going to see him again uh, he's going to get his own strip in STC Yes, not for a long time the idea of this advert was again for the
0: Americans and the young listeners who wouldn't have experienced it was that it was um, an extended advert for Sega in general mm-hmm. really which was presented as a pirate TV signal breaking into the ordinary commercial break um, with a, a skull mascot
1: one instinctively knows one's pussycat <laughs>
0: You have just been invaded by Sega TV.
1: (laughs) Hi, and welcome to Interactive TV. Ah. Commercial break. Sega Mega Drive. Got one, now you can get Mega CD. Clunk, click, take a trip
0: on 500 megabytes. Whoa! It plays your music CDs and it comes with seven games. And
1: now? I, I don't know if you... He must have been wearing the fez at this point. I think he must get the fez in the next one, because at least in this picture he isn't.
0: Well, yeah, but Steve O'Donnell, as the host of this pirate channel, who would become more famous to us and to readers of Sonic the Comic with a a fez. Mm. And um, Sonic the Comic would, in, gosh, uh, six, no, a year's time, more or less a year's time, uh, turn the concept of this uh, advert into a, into a strip. That's right. And that was probably the single most off-the-wall thing the entire comic had ever done. But
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. It makes yeah. zero sense, and I don't know how we're even going to sort of fathom it to sum it up when it happens, but yeah. Um, the the skull mascot was, I think, hand anime. I think it was just traditional animation, but it was made to look like some sort of a CG thing. Certainly looked it, yeah. What they're saying in the article here is just that this advert's on and you might see billboards and magazine ads for it. And and sure enough, we did. Yeah, certainly. I saw it back on TV in the day. Yeah.
0: Maybe not this two... I mean, the note it makes specifically is that, at the time at least, it was the longest single TV advert ever, two and a half minutes long. I presume the idea was that it took up a whole ad break on on its premiere with the intent then that it'd be cut up into smaller chunks and shown as minute-long adverts... Uh, in in regular
1: rotation yeah then we have some uh, short bursts starting with an extremely vaguely written article about right
0: okay I'm glad I'm not (laughs) just dumb
1: then yeah about a boxer I've never heard of teaming up with Muhammad Ali which gradually drops little crumbs of sort of tongue in cheekedness all the way through until you're left at the end to realise almost uh, just on your own that this boxer never met Muhammad Ali (laughs) at all and he just features in the game somehow
0: yeah it's what was the name of the game Muhammad Ali's heavyweight boxing but it's oh, it is so vague that it's never <laughs> clear if if he the, the boxer's name is Nigel Bann and obviously the idea is that he played the uh he played he just the played game. a game
1: he played a computer game
0: presumably it's some sort of it, it doesn't say but I presumably it's some <laughs> sort of uh, industry show or presentation or something it, it
1: makes no such claim yeah. I think it was just a man like news bong man plays game bong first it says he fights him then
0: yeah. it says he teams up with him yeah and i didn't know who the game works so i don't know if you controlled muhammad ali in the game or if muhammad ali was the final boss of no the game no idea
1: um and by about halfway through i was thinking that him and muhammad ali were involved in some kind of promotional thing where they they took on player one and two control pads and, and fought against yeah. each other nope but no.
0: Muhammad Ali wasn't even in the room. No, he
1: just played a Presumably. Mega Drive game. I mean, I can't be 100% <laughs> sure. He could have been. <laughs> Muhammad Ali could have been in the room. We would be none the wiser. Uh, <laughs> and and then uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's something called Toasted Sonic, which is the news that two teenagers burned their house down by playing sonic and forgetting they left the toast under the grill presented that's not here a as... funny story no but it's presented as if it is isn't it yeah
0: that's not funny it caused 15 grand worth of damage that's not
1: funny i'm an adult no that number means something to me yeah if i caused 15 <laughs> grand's worth of damage that i would, I would not would be just able throw to throw myself rep- under the grill that's it yeah. Done. i'd just nip into the fire and be done with it yeah be done um, with it. <laughs> Be- and that and that that's, that's 1993 money what's that now like 45 million uh, some
0: unfathomable amount of money Yeah, isn't that funny guys hey guys next time hit the pause button waka waka
1: I-, I at least hope that they got some kind of compensation for their story yeah. being printed here but I, I doubt yeah, it
0: a free SDC badge
1: <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even get that no badge winner and we're told also that they're bringing out some old games for 19 pounds 99 which must have been sort of like in like let's be generous and let's not imagine that inflation has been all that bad you're still looking at the equivalent of about what 30 quid that's still uh, quite a I'm bit.
0: Not sure. Certainly it's several weeks. Po- but it's not an mm. unfeasible amount of money to save up if you really did save your pocket money.
1: Or if you got some
0: money for your birthday, there was there was a yeah. good chance you could actually buy your own game. Wi- 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 and with if so,
1: birthday. then you'd get Golden Axe 2, Toe & Earl 1, Strider, or Joe Montana Football, which was sort of their big sponsorship deal, I believe, before Sonic happened. Um, or you could get Revenge of Shinobi. That, that's the one I would go for out of them. What do you think?
0: Well, I guess I would go for... I mean, I had, I did have ToeJam & Earl 2, which was fantastic.
1: Yes. Well, that was a whole different genre of game from ToeJam 1, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a totally different yeah. game, yeah.
0: That's why, like, if, if and when they ever do, like, a, a Mega Drive Mini, mm. um, it's ToeJam & Earl 2 you want to put on there, guys.
1: I know you're yeah. listening. <laughs> and next, we have something that we didn't mention in the previous issue, and here's why. Um, it's because... I had been unable to rescue my STC collection from my parents' house at that time. Um, so we were working off scans uh, last time. And um, But Abby's parents have come up to visit last weekend and I asked them to see if they could find any of hers. And they brought a pristine collection of really quite a lot of the series, starting from the beginning Ooh, and ending nice. who knows where. So now I, I have these issues here in front of me. And um, not included in the scans then... Um, is the, the grand opening competition, which takes up a whole page each issue, and it goes like this. The first prize is a Mega Drive and Mega CD, including games. Good prize. That's a good prize. Second prize, they've got five Master System 2s with Alex Kidd, obviously, because it was built in. It doesn't specify, but I assume that that means five separate winners will get a Master yeah. System 2, rather yeah, not, than one, game one kid getting One kid will get five, five yeah. <laughs> and the third prize, they've got three Game Gears uh, and copies of columns. And to get these, you just need to send in three tokens. And here in the corner is one such token. Yeah, there it is. T. Oh, so one. the first one was S, this one is T, and I'm sure issue three will be a C then. That'd be good. No, it isn't. its isn't. They're all T. Um, because it stands... Well, because it stands for token, you see. Oh, boom. Um, <laughs> it's uh, a... <laughs> Little cutout square with a big capital T on it and the word token and several Sonic heads in the background. There's one of these in the first three issues, and there's one in the preview issue. So if you got that, you can kind of skip ahead because they only require three. The problem here is that two. Enter the competition, you do have to cut out a square from the corner of STC.
0: Oh, no way. Oh, that's an atrocity before God in the movie. Jesus. Oh, I never. Even exactly,
1: thought. because you've got to decide do you value a snowball in hell's chance of winning a Master System more than you, than you value whatever's on the other side of said square? In issue one, all you'd lose was the letters page offering from an Andrew Cummings of Chelmsford, Essex, who wrote Dear Sonic the Comic, I've just got a Game Gear. I would like to know if there are any cheats for Shinobi. I would love it if you could answer this question. <laughs> But here we would lose the corner of the first page of Golden Axe. Unthinkable. I mean, not the biggest loss in the world, <laughs> yeah. but it is because it's a pay- it's comic. Sure, yeah. So absolutely not. And I so was this not, leads to uh,
0: you and I were obviously of the same mind back then, Dave. There was no cutting up the comics.
1: No, I didn't if even. I... I, I took to eventually cutting with scissors through the sellotape on the free packet of pastels on the cover because I didn't oh, want to yeah. rip it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely I mean Sonic wasn't too bad Because it had a nice uh, Glossy cover So you were in with a chance Of peeling Not by
1: the time of those Free pastels that came on The Cam and Bert issue I, uh, That one tore way That one tore through And that was it for me oh, They were getting cut After that Very familiar Yeah I think they'd uh, I think I they like Lowered thing. the quality Of the paper stock By then I don't know But when you
0: had a glossy cover There was a good chance There was there a really reasonable is. chance You could peel the tape off But whenever they You know, know You'd yeah. get a, a free drumstick Lolly taped to the Beano Or something And it was made a newsprint it's like you're just mocking me
1: by the way something I want to bring up is that so what I have here is Abby's copies of the comic and and she said oh dear oh no she seemed a bit sheepish about it I said why what and she said I used to draw in them oh and and I yeah except that to me is like a good thing Yeah. and I'm I'm looking through it going where I I, I can't I can't see it and she pointed out where it is and I don't know if you're going to be able to see this can you see what she's done no. Neither could I. She had to tell me. She's colored the blood in red Aww. on the lizard getting cut in half. <laughs> uh,
0: I wouldn't have noticed. Cuz it was the green li- and originally. I, I, I mean no, gosh. And your <laughs> wife Abby is a professional comic
1: colourist Colourist! Isn't yeah, well, that this is,
0: fantastic? Isn't this that is,
1: wonderful? This is where she got her start and on the uh, at the bottom of the first page as well, you've got um Tyrus sticking a sword through a lizard, and again she's painted some blood on there.
0: Little Abby was a bit bloodthirsty, wasn't she? She was a bit, wasn't she? <laughs> Golden Axe, or the Legend of the Golden Axe, to give it its full mm. title, which I don't think we did last time.
1: No, Citadel of Dead Souls Part Two. For listeners who aren't able to read the comic, um, and don't you know have access to. My in laws' cupboards. Yeah. Um, Tyrus Flair and Gilius Thunderhead, Amazon and Dwarf respectively, are thrown into the dungeon of the Citadel of Dead Souls because they're going to be sacrificed to power the resurrection of dark gold the bad guy off the game i looked this up
0: by the way um oh this is very much set after golden axe two ah dark gold was the baddie of golden axe two um and that's where the magic of fire earth and air that they have is from and certainly the characters appearances in this strip are styled much more after the cover to golden axe two than the cover of golden axe one which uh the characters had different color hair and everything uh, the cover of Golden Axe, 2, by the way, done by Boris Vallejo, um, uh, uh, a rather legendary fantasy painter in the vein of Rosetta.
1: Oh, yeah, wow, yeah,
0: and and certainly the comic is uh, channeling that. You don't just do Vallejo, but uh, uh, whatever. All else, I would have to say about Golden Axe, it's still uh, a very nice-looking comic. A little stiff
1: sometimes but um the the light and shadow is yes it's fully painted meanwhile ax battler comes to in the company of a rotting enthusiast <laughs> <laughs> yep she's just obsessed with rotting and
0: loves it yes he he was knocked out at the end of last issue, and the villagers were going to get rid of his body, and they're just dragging him to the stocks. And he comes to as they're doing it. But the old lady who is directing him, the uh, the old, old crown. crone to use the comics parlance, who is directing him, is just just he, she wants him put up on display in this in the uh, village marketplace so that they can all watch his yeah. body rot because that they didn't have television. Yeah, back then,
1: basically. and and it, and it does seem to be not because she wants to. Have revenge on him or anything she just likes to watch the process of organic material breaking down no she's just gonna enjoy it yeah
0: Why was gonna watch you rot
1: she talks about how good they are at rotting over at the citadel of dead souls wizards
0: knows a thing or two about rotting she won't
1: accept anything in her life that doesn't rot she turns down payment for her information because the coins won't rot mm, only flesh i thought when axe called her an old crone to her face I thought that was a bit rude, but she probably likes it because it sounds a bit like a rotting person, doesn't it? Which is what she wants to be. Yeah. She's owning it. (laughs) That's like on her business cards. And there is our first, I think, in the whole comic, in the whole series so far, um, Editor's Note from Megadroid. See last issues action-packed episode dash Megadroid. You know, I love a good footnote, mate.
0: Oh, Yeah. I often say footnotes are a dead art. Yeah. You don't see them so much anymore. But on reflection, if footnotes are a dead art, I think it's because SDC killed them. <laughs> Do you think? Because they got so into them that they would start. <laughs> they became like a joke. It became like a joke. Like there was a strip that had a footnote in the title of the footnote, and the footnote was in the title explaining what it was. <laughs> and it was like, wow, you guys are like, calm down. <laughs>
1: Why not? It's their prerogative to do exactly that. And, uh, oh, we've, we really have lost something in comics, you know? When we all just decided that the only comics that matter are either American or Japanese, we lost something. We did. Well, American comics used to do footnotes too, but you just don't see them anymore. You see them a little bit
0: here and there. Yeah, uh, um, but not with the same sense of fun, though. No, I suppose, <laughs> I mean, well, in Marvel comics, for instance, you do still get occasionally, you know, the, the notes from, simper and Steve the editor or whatever you know with the funny nickname but um nothing ever includes C last issue anymore yeah because given that that's where the cliffhanger picked up from I didn't need to be told it happened in the previous issue you know
1: no and the the other thing is that that is a good thing because they got to the point where it was like C issue 349 and it's like no I refuse Whereas here, we're on issue two, so it's actually quite reasonable that you might see issue one, especially since I believe they did re-release issue one so that people who missed it could could get it. Oh, yeah. I don't know where I've got that from. Mm-hmm. They might have had a back issue service available for a while, I think. They certainly had something a bit like one at one point because we missed the Knuckles Knockout special and we tried so hard to find it several summers hence. Oh, I had that one. Yeah, it's got a good bit in it that... Um, Eventually we, we gave up, you know, really scouring the country's news agents and instead phoned up the people at Egmont Fleetway or whoever they were calling themselves at the time. And um a man on the phone just said, Oh yes, we've got some of those and, and sent us one for free.
0: Huh, nice! Yeah, we didn't have to pay no monies. No. Wouldn't get that today. No.
1: So Axe Battler rides away on a dragon thing he found somewhere to the citadel of dead souls which looks well good from the outside yeah such a good drawing it's like a twist it's one of those twisty hills that's got a road going up it and loads of buildings in between the roads and stuff really nicely drawn there and a big statue on the top of a horrible thing with smoking eyes it's dead good and then axe just falls down a hole yeah feels like something out of a game doesn't it it does a bit doesn't it
0: um, yeah oh the thing fell through and there was a river underneath and there was a monster in the river
1: he's walking uh, over some wood of some description and it and it just falls through presumably uh, because the wood had rotted yeah yeah. so you can see why the crone would speak so breathlessly about this place <laughs> um, and as he falls he shouts gold which gives us an insight into what the bad guy dark gold's name means <laughs> um, and then the yeah there's a as you say there's a monster in there that we only see tentacles of coming out of the the sewage and uh, the dragon mount, which we learn here was called a bazarian gets grabbed by the tentacles in the sewer river and Axe manages to slice them up and head into the sewer. And he has a brief scuffle in there with a lizard man who he leaves to drown in sewage, which I'll admit made me feel sorry for him. Or get eaten by the thing. Or, well, hopefully he'll get eaten by the thing first. <laughs> and then within a lizard egg chamber, which, I don't know, I feel as if this might be something from the games because otherwise it's just this lizard egg chamber I, out feel of like you can,
0: I feel like you can get the meaning of that one from context though that one doesn't seem it doesn't feel like one of those random here's a bit from the game's moments it feels like well to
1: me it felt a little bit like uh, the only bit that did was the fact that it's called within a lizard egg chamber which is not a thing wouldn't you call it a hatchery or something it's, yes. it's very well established what it is though you've got shelves and shelves full of eggs which are actually see through and you can see these kind of embryonic lizard people mm. in it it's really cool and there is a uh, well. The caption is within a lizard egg chamber. A hatch maiden is alerted. Again, hatch maiden. I don't know if that's something from the games or not, but she's a lizard lady, and uh, and he kills her. He's yeah. Well, really well, I was hungry.
0: Really taken aback by that one. Like she, I mean, she sounds the alarm. She alerts sorcerer black spell. Sure. But then he just uh, in between the panels just 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 kills her. Just kills just her with a... really kills just her. Kills her dead. And she's she's like the janitor. She's here with um a, a mop and a bucket oh yeah and he just kills her and i was like jesus that's the edge of british kids comics coming through again
1: it is and he shouts at her enough you'll warn no one else and it's like well she's warned everyone (laughs) she's warned him no yeah it's done like really like he should have said something like you'll warn about no one else in future when future good guys come here but that would be a bit of a mouthful and then the sorcerer black spell himself appears as a big hologram making a threat and he sends Riggia Mortius, his lizard warrior woman, who is actually super cool and rides a big doofy chicken. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> to find Axe, the man, not the weapon, and administer an evil potion. That's what she's going <gasps> to do. She's going to administer an evil potion, and we leave them just as they're about to fight. Ah, uh, it's Golden Axe, in it. I was more into it this time, I've got to say. Yes, I was more... I was absolutely...
0: I could say I was more engaged in the second half of this one. It still... It's not really the comics' fault. It's just that epic fantasy approach that just—I'm I, I, just not very interested in.
1: Oh yeah, the the comic is very well made. It's just yeah, what it's about is man with muscles and sword. Oh uh, yeah, lizard people. Uh, but whenever you
0: had that 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 moment where he just kills the hatch maiden, and is like, well, you, you know that I was my attention was pulled yeah. toward it at that moment. I was like, oh, fair, yeah, fair enough,
1: I guess, you know. Even though it's done fairly. Um, Subtly and often, bloodlessly, yes, yes, it happens in
0: between panels, in fact, as it were. And in fact,
1: you would be, I, I think I actually had to go back and just check that he did kill this random mm, maiden yeah. because what it is is that he's got his sword up shouting, You'll warn no one else. And then, he, you know, you could read it as him being distracted by the appearance of the holographic head unless you notice mm. that there on the ground that is a corpse. The body
0: is right there. And no doubt, Abby drew a big blood spray. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she left this one untouched but uh that would have helped me yeah she should have done <laughs> no I, I like this now i'm into it now i think i've got past the fact that it's just about a barbarian and some barbarian people and I'm, I'm now looking at the artwork a lot more which was always good but now i'm really connecting with it that that city on the hill just looks great yeah.
0: well it also helps that this chapter unlike the first one isn't just uh, a run through of the features of the game
1: yeah, he's got his dragon to ride, there's a lizard person to kill. And in fact, both of his kills happen on this same page. Mm-mm. He kills the lizard person, and then he kills the hatch maiden on the next line of panels, let alone on the same page. Yeah. Quite bloodthirsty. It's quite bloodthirsty. And there's a real command of the page by this artist. He's really getting a lot in. I draw comics. And I know how difficult it is to take a page that's usually a, you know, going to be three rows of p- of panels and really say more than one thing in them. Yeah. This guy says one lizard gets killed, second lizard gets killed, has a conversation with a hologram, all in the space of one page. I feel like that is uh an
0: artist making a good job of the somewhat um, clunkish nature of the story. There are times when it feels like uh, one panel doesn't even necessarily Logically follow or, or on From the previous panel um, Like there's a lot has jumped in between And I think the artist Is doing a lot of the heavy lifting And making it work
1: Well it's working whatever's happening mm. I'm satisfied with this one So Wahey Q zone. Q zone. q Um, what have we got?
0: Sonic two on the Master System. Wonder Boy on the Game Gear.
1: Yes, and uh, it's a level select cheat for Sonic two that confused me for ages.
0: Yeah, there's. I mean, we we can't really talk about the cheats to any great extent. So I, I didn't think we'd linger on this section, but I did absolutely <laughs> want to bring up this <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog two Master System level select cheat. Yeah. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna read it. When the Sega logo disappears, press up, left and both buttons on the joypad in port 2 and count to 12 slowly. (laughs) Now hold up and right and count to 5. Now press up, left and the two buttons again. When Robotnik goes off the top right of the oval, press up and right until both Sonic and Tails appear. Plug your joypad into port 1, press button 2, and a level select sheet will appear. Whatever happened to up, down, left,
1: right, A and start? <laughs> and, it, and it's such a journey to go on. In fact, this whole corner... I of- mean,
0: how would you even know? I mean...
1: Uh, yeah. ho- ho-
0: ho- press up, left on both buttons and count to 12? Yeah. slowly. How slowly? slowly? Is it seconds? You could at least play a chime and let me know I've held it for long enough. I know! It just seems almost God, impossible. God, I would have given up on that halfway through. That sounds
1: like an afternoon's work. I know. And, okay, that's not the only thing that, that hit me in this this little corner of the page, because I, for a moment there, thought I was reading a Mega Drive Sonic 2 cheat. And I was like, wait, this isn't the famous Mega Drive Sonic 2 cheat. And it turns out to be because they fooled me by posting this Mega Drive Screenshot, and if you really squint, you can see Mega Drive Sonic One screenshot. That's it. So if you really (laughs) squint, you can see a note saying "NB the above pick is taken from a Mega Drive," but it's of Sonic One. Like, and I confess, in the in the whole warp of confusion that I was in at the time, I didn't notice that. So I guess me and the editor both were going like, "This'll do." And if you look at that picture. And at the the
0: pictures over by the Wonderboy, it's painfully obvious that they're yep. photographs of television
1: screens as well. <laughs> yeah. They've got the sort of diagonal scan line. You
0: can see the curvature yeah. of the Wonder Boy screenshots.
1: Oh, and in the Sonic one, top right, there's a little <laughs> yeah, bit Yeah, of... it's just peeking in, in the corner. There's a, there's there, a little too, bit yeah. of the,
0: the, the light blue. Pow oh, it, it was Bordavar. the wild west of video game print media, wasn't well, it? Well, because
1: what else are they supposed to do? I mean, could that you know? You couldn't just fire up the emulator and do print screen in those no. days. In fact, there was a I read somewhere in an old Spectrum magazine that they used to have to send the code of the Spectrum into the office computer to get screenshots. So they should have just done this. Um but yeah, the, the Wonderboy screenshot is from the Mega Drive. Again, attached to a master oh, is system. It? Oh, I wouldn't know of game. And yet there's no mention. No note there. But I'd think that's probably because they presumed nobody had played Wonderboy. <laughs> including me. And, <laughs> so, and, me. and so we move on to...
0: Wonder
1: In Demon World Part 1. Now, last night, I played the Mega Drive Wonder Boy, which is the one pictured on the previous page. I watched a little. And um, it's the first time I've ever played it. I loved it. It was oh, yeah? really lovely. It was a sort of platformer RPG type thing where you're you're going through these these 2D areas with monsters in them, and the monsters are the cutest, sweetest little thing, and it's all drawn in like a, a, a cute Japanese style, kind of what you would associate with, um, you know, the... Um, who's the little rocket guy? Astro Boy? No, I mean a Mega Drive game. He was like a little ferret with a rocket pack on him. Sparkster. Sparkster, yeah. It was drawn in a kind of Sparkstery style, and um, everything was so cute. The monsters, I, I, they were so lovely that I didn't <laughs> want to kill them they had these little smiley faces it was a sweet fairy tale world where everyone's a fairy all the normal people were fairies this comic is the complete 100 percent diametric opposite yeah. of what the game it's apparently drawing from looked like and was
0: now last issue we saw a piece of wonder boy artwork which i presume is by the same artist that went on to draw the strip because I don't think it would make sense um, and we noticed less, we noted that it was copied from a piece of earlier Wonder Boy art from a game or one of the earlier games.
1: From a Japanese promo art of some yeah, sort. Yeah because it
0: was very much in the cutesy super deformed anime style of the games Yeah, and it was also clearly obviously being drawn by an artist who that was not their native style and they were kind of struggling against it so it's no great surprise then that they don't draw the actual Wonder Boy strip uh, like that
1: No indeed. Nothing like that
0: that artist's name is, um, he's credited on this strip as MDJ Boyan, um, but uh, that's not the real name because they would draw the second Wonder Boy strip that would come in future issues, under which they would be credited by what I assume is their real name, which is Boyan Dukak, or perhaps Dukach. I'm not 100% sure how you pronounce that. So I don't, we couldn't, we couldn't find anything about them online, so we don't know no. who they are, where they're from, or what their style is. Um, but certainly with where I remember the the Wonderboy strip going, um, even this first uh, chapter still tries to lean a bit more towards the slightly cutesier look of the games than where later strips would go with it. Oh, really? And I mean, and it's not particularly cutesy, but it's a little bit more cartoony, a little bit, than um, he's got quite big eyes, he makes quite broad facial expressions, um, than, than the pretty straight, Stuff that would come later on, in, uh, particularly in the second one. As I remember it, I may be wrong entirely. We'll find out
1: as we go. We will find out. But yes, either way, what we have here is a very. Um, I mean, it's drawn in almost. Well, it's a, it's a style that could be used for another Golden Axe. It's a medieval fantasy comic. Yeah. So the story here is that Shion, uh, which is Wonderboy's actual name. Um, or is it Shion? Or it probably is Shion, isn't it? I don't know. I said Shion, but my mum oh? said Shion, and I've uh... I'm sorry. What on earth does your mum have to do with this? When did she say it? Uh, she said it
0: when she was reading the comic to one of my brothers once. Aww. And I remember hearing her saying that and thinking, "Oh, it's not how I said
1: it." Well, it's one of them. I don't remember how I said it at all. I didn't I thought it was called Wonderboy, um but actually no. I know, right? One of the one of the points they're making here is that Wonderboy is just an embarrassing nickname that he's ended up getting from the local villagers and that he doesn't like. See, I don't like that.
0: Um, I I would have preferred it if the strip could have just lent into it and dealt with it earnestly and honestly instead of trying to make a joke out of it. And that sort of speaks to the style of the whole strip. Yeah. It's like the point you were making is how completely different it is. It's, it's this vaguely cynical approach to the idea of the thing. Instead of just, yeah, because that's what he is, because he's cute and fun and has adventures and kills snakes. It
1: is. It's tr- It's almost trying to be two separate things at once. Or rather, it's trying to be one thing. And then they've... It's, it's almost as if they planned the whole thing out before anyone gave them a copy of Wonderboy. And then they looked at it and went, oh, gosh. A little bit, yeah. That's nothing like what we made up. So we have to kind of mash the two together. So... Shion saved the world, anyway, from monsters in the game. Wonder Boy in Monster World.
0: And it at least has the common decency to have a little footnote <laughs> that says, As seen in the game.
1: Yep. Wonder Boy in Monster World. So this is, this is another one of those ones that does
0: presume the game has happened already. And to my knowledge, to my memory, the last time a strip would do that, all, all the subsequent new strips that they would do would be actual adaptations of the game and tell the origin stories and everything.
1: That's my memory of it as well, but we'll find out um, as we go. We may be wrong. And uh, a demon appears, which is a shame. Just like that, demons. You do. Well, demons are worse than monsters. So once you've cleared the whole world oh, out of monsters, yeah. I guess where do you go from there? demon world and uh, sure enough this demon says i'm from demon world and i think you should go to demon world uh, to enjoy various tortures but shion realizes it's a distraction and he runs to the village which has been burned down while he was distracted and old kevin a survivor old kevin Jeez. <laughs> tells him that he's the only one left ever since robotnik came overnight and kidnapped everyone else in the forest
0: <laughs> it's, the it's the same story it's the same story Oh, gosh.
1: And so he finds the villagers being dragged along in carts by some demons and tries to get them free, but he's caught. So, yeah, th- this is the, the the dark and gritty reboot of Wonderboy.
0: <laughs> kind of, yeah. Now, we didn't mention the script on this one is by Mark Isles, who also wrote Golden Axe. Yes. And it is very much of a piece with Golden Axe, mm-hmm. tonally. Um, it's... I mean I mean and that's the funny thing about about what's what has happened with Sonic the Comic and perhaps it's why some of these early strips didn't really resonate with me so much is that we've wound up with a comic that's 50% fantasy Oh. You know, we've got Sonic, we've got Shinobi, and then the other two strips are, are swords and sandals stuff. Swords and shields and magic and monsters. And
1: and I and I want to make some kind of distinction there, because I get the sense that you were fairly against fantasy as a general. Thing. I even even am still now, honestly, it's it's a genre that just doesn't
0: interest me in the slightest. Well,
1: not so me. I would be very interested if what we were looking at was the wizards and dragons end of fantasy unfortunately what we're looking at is the swords and muscles end of fantasy which is yeah it, it, to my mind a, well it's a completely different genre and it just wasn't one that i was interested in and uh, perhaps i would have preferred because i think wonder boy the game comes from the kind of fantasy that as a kid i would have enjoyed
0: yeah it's it's the more kind of cartoony
1: cutesy adventurous zelda ish yeah, Zelda-ish, and I guess here you could call that fairy-tale-ish. Fairy-tale-ish, that's a good word for it. I think that's what they perhaps ought to have done, and given me a, a dragons and fairies. And there's, a, the, the, I couldn't get over, I don't know if you saw this bit, but in the my stream of me playing it last night, I couldn't get over the part where you go and meet this big fairy, and she gives you a little fairy called Priscilla, who follows huh? you around. And every time, if you go back to the big fairy, the big fairy says, is Priscilla helping you? And, it, and that's what it is. It's like, I'll give you one of my helpers to help you. Is Priscilla helping? And yes, Priscilla is helping. She's a very good girl. Aww. When you go up to a monster, she grabs onto the monster and does a big show of trying to punch it on the head. Punch, 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 punch. And it doesn't do anything, but she's trying to help. Oh, see, that's
0: bless. And then this is yeah. the cynical one where demons invade from another world and capture
1: people yeah. and burn down villages and Wonderboy hits his name. <sighs> uh. Yeah. Oh well, eh. So, a um, couple of a couple of hidden details. Of course, we've got an abandoned toy Sonic here on the second to last page um, in the burned remains of the village.
0: Yeah, we should probably note Wonder Boy is the shortest strip in the comic at four pages. Yeah,
1: yeah, just four pages. Seven on.
0: pages for Sonic, five pages each for Shinobi and Golden Axe, and four pages for Wonder Boy. And that's the format that things would generally stick to. That's right.
1: Yeah. So we have this in the burned down village. We have this abandoned Sonic toy lying on the ground, drawn wrong. Um, yeah. Well, no, coloured wrong. He's got green uh, boots and hands, uh, or gloves, and he's got cream-coloured the first two spines on the top of his head. Yeah, I... They're like the colour of his nose and, and tummy... And ooh.
0: I don't know what it even thinks it's supposed to be. I thought maybe he thought it was supposed to be his ear or something, but it's not, even well, that's not right.
1: I, hey, maybe it was a maybe it was an, a meta commentary. Maybe this was a commentary on knockoff merchandise because that's what it reminds <laughs> maybe. me of, like the green Bart Simpsons that you saw on things. Yeah. And then is that a From Hell reference at the very end? Um, Do we have a it's middle panel, bottom of the last page? someone is poking out of that cage that looks a lot like the From Hell Guy Fawkes mask. You mean V for Vendetta? Yes, I do mean V for Vendetta. <laughs> Had that come out yet? Uh, yes, yes, V for Vendetta was the 80s. Right, so is that's got to be a V for Vendetta reference. It looks
0: up. a, I mean, a little... It does look a bit... It does look I a think it is. is. The, the way yeah, it's, it's the way it's
1: angled directly towards us, the way it's got the hat, the little moustache... Yeah.
0: He does have the little mustache and he does have the the, the hair cheeks. slash sideburns. Yeah, you know I think it is. That's really weird. I think it is. What's the deal yeah. with that? That's the edge. Yeah. It's a strange one is Wonderboy. It's got that same sort yeah. of Mark Isles um golden axe tone, a sort of dead ness And I mean part of, maybe part of it is just the fact that it is only four pages long, but it pelts along at a queer pace Mm. with uh, sometimes each panel barely linking up to the next one, you know a dead disconnectedness. Although, I mean, I admit I did chuckle um, at the little three-panel sequence of the demon that, that Wonderboy meets um, at the start describing Demon World. It's a happy place where our guests are treated well by friendly and considerate hosts and we <laughs> see images of Demon World and it's people in in, uh, in chains pulling carts being whipped as demons laugh, you know. We're yeah. here on a sales
1: trip. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just... That picture is just thrown in because it, the, it's not people, it's him. It's Shion, because he's it got is, his blue hair. It, yeah. And it's so it's not a flash forward or anything, because it doesn't happen. It really is just like, oh, we're just going to draw it. We're going to put it in the comic. That's something we can do in comics. Here's what he really means. Like, And what what
0: even happens here, like, at the end of this segment? <laughs> Does Wonder Boy stab the demon with the sword? Because he goes, I'll get you. Arrgh, and yeah. there's a sort of explosion of light, and Shion and goes, blazes, he's vanishing. I know what you mean. I th- yeah, did he stab him, and is that the result of him being stabbed? Because you've or? got this
1: drawing of of Shion of with his... He is thrusting his sword forward, and I think hmm. it's meant to be... Because he says blazes, he's vanishing. I yeah. think that's you know, spoken he's with the same shocked. tone. Spoken in the same tone, as you might say. Gold, he's vanishing.
0: Yeah, because yeah. um, the, 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 the demon... Takes a swipe at him with its axe hand because oh, Stephen so has an axe does. for a hand. It's easy to miss. I'm really only noticing it now. He seems to take a swipe at him, and then the 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 arm sweeping forward conveniently covers up Cheyenne's sword hand. So oh. it's like it seems like it's an act of artistic. I don't want to say censorship, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's he's he's artist, covering up uh, the point uh, of uh,
1: contact there. So yes, yes but, so, but the but the confusion is we would immediately assume okay so he stabbed him and he's exploding away because yeah. he's a monster in a game but, sure. but but wonderboy is going oh blazes oh he's vanishing as if he's getting away but the monster yeah, it, is going ah as if he's being stabbed
0: and he's saying yeah yeah it's that's the kind of weird disconnected moment that the comic doesn't have time to expand on or explain properly um, yeah, that I find have been common with the three Yale scripts we've read so far.
1: Yes, but I think that that is more in keeping with the general um, style of British comics of this sort at the time.
0: True, 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 true. Yes, I, I, I think
1: uh, I think we've been spoiled by Shinobi's modern pacing. Hmm, I think you're right. Really, that's how we do comics now—is we do them the way Shinobi here is done, and and yet, well, I was going to say my memory of British comics at the time is that it, it that they. Lent more in this direction, but I'm probably getting a lot of that impression from Sonic the Comic. Yeah, that could be it because, you know, certainly to my memory, Sonic,
0: the Sonic strip itself, was not one that tended to have moments like this in it. Sometimes, you know, whenever you got a complete seven page Sonic story, it could feel Mm. over very quickly because the pacing was such that they would carefully and tactfully pace it so that the threat would only emerge in, let's say, Act Two of the seven page story. But then that would mean you only had two pages or three pages at most to beat the body. So some of these stories could feel like they were over very quickly, but that was just an artifact of writing a seven-page story, whereas here it does feel more like it's a personal artifact of Uh this writer's script.
1: Perhaps it's just the match between writer and artist here, because, I mean, Golden Axe feels a lot more comfortable to me. Mm.
0: Yes. Whereas this artist is definitely working with um, a style guide that he's not comfortable in and has had to adapt a lot already.
1: And so, finally, the letters page. Not much to say here. We've got a couple of drawings sent in by Sweet Little Children. I um, appreciate them a lot more now. The question is, are they still real or not? Mm. I think... Because it's still only issue two, but yeah. these all feel
0: genuine. Well, except for um, Mrs. Ting's letter yes! from South London.
1: Mrs. Ting, who who writes in to uh, reply to the dubious letter from Mr. from Mr. Oldfash and defend computer games, and I'm not quite sure why they chose to do this. Yes, I also read that as a fake letter. Yes. Which made me wonder, you know, I was trying to figure out, well, what does Mrs. Ting mean in the way that Mr. Old Fashioned means Mr. Old Fashioned? Yeah, I I don't get it. Um, The closest I came up with was that it was a reference to the old Monty Python joke of Mrs. Thing and Mrs. Entity. But I don't know. So maybe she's real, or maybe there was a real person called Ting who lent their name to this. but um, Perhaps it's an odd one but it's i mean
0: certainly enough time hasn't passed for them to possibly have had real letters sent in oh i don't know i don't know two weeks yeah but you remember how far in advance these things have to be done
1: oh yes of course yeah so these so so the drawings will be from family children yeah i mean they're still definitely kids drawings. yeah they're lovely unless they would unless they were done by adults in which case good work yes (laughs)
0: I mean, uh, again, the letters seem to, you know, sort of serve a purpose. One here is, can you tell me Sonic's origin? And mm. it gives Mega Drive the excuse to say, gonna. keep watching the comic, coming up soon. And another one is, can you make a Decap strip? Yes. And Mega able to say, yes, there will be one very soon. And then there's this issue's equivalent of the 48 packets of Watson's <laughs> letter. Um, what a comic! There's something for everyone! You know, the one that really, really extols the virtues of it, like a, like a press kit. Yeah. My little sister has drawn the enclosed pick of Echo and his friends. I very generously gave her some of the stickers, which were great, by the way. I love the Shinobi story, especially the drawings. So much action and adventure! I'd like a Mega Drive for my birthday, and I've shown your comic to my mum, and even she approves, so it can't be bad. She says it's not such an assault on the eyes. So you never know, you might just be responsible for the best birthday present ever. <laughs> In
1: the meantime, lots more tips and hints, please. Yeah, and uh, Megadroid replies to that with, lucky little boomer, aren't you? Now, from my experience, uh, seeing mock-ups of magazine pages for various jobs me or Abby have done, I remember there was there was one thing we worked on where a popular children's character was depicted on the mock-up page here and there and he would be saying little jokes in the final in the final thing but they hadn't written those jokes yet mm. but he still had the speech balloons and so this character was pictured in the middle of the in the middle of the mock-up page that was sent to us uh saying cheeky little f- aren't i <laughs> and so i suspect and in fact i'm relatively confident that boomer was not the word used in the first version of this page when Megadroid (laughs) says, lucky little boomer, aren't you?
0: I slave night and day on this comic and those boring Humes in charge won't even let me have a Megadrive. Megadroid, you are a Megadrive.
1: (laughs) I can't tell if that was a reference to that or not. Was that a joke, that he is a Megadrive? No, I don't
0: don't think so. Um,
1: And that's, that's it. But yes, we do have a tease of the fact that there's going to be a decap attack strip which i mean honestly i my main evidence for thinking that that is a fake letter is not the fact that it happens to to tease a strip that's coming up but that you know who had heard of the game decap attack who hadn't read it in stc who remembers decap attack no Uh, well like if you didn't read sonic
0: the comic you're probably going yeah what
1: yeah but it became just because nobody cared about the video game it really became native to sonic the comic it was just a nigel kitching strip
0: now we are some distance away from the introduction of that yet yes yeah, so we won't um, go but on about will, that yet it will uh, it will become basically the second most longest running content of the comic behind the sonic strip itself
1: yeah and then on the inside uh, back cover of course we have the uh, advert for next issue which says at the top max overload uh, maximum overload but max overload was of course the name of the thing i mentioned last episode that had Lemmings and Chuck Rock and Green Dog and oh, the other comic, yes. Oh, maybe they're, and uh, Toe Jam and Earl in it. Maybe
0: they're having a go at them.
1: Maybe they're having a go at them. Let me see if I can find out when that came out. I've, I've got a scan of the f- front page here. Uh, that came out no March nineteen ninety four. So it is a total coincidence. Oh, fair enough.
0: And in the next issue, we are promised. Four mega-thrilling comic strips. Yes. Sonic the Hedgehog trapped in the Marble Zone. Shinobi. Between Musashi and the next level, the Martial Monk. Legend oh. of the Golden Axe meet the Chain Gang. Axe, Tyrus, and Gilius. We've met You've them. met them already. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder Boy. Cheyenne takes on the Demon Forces, plus the final part of the grand opening compo and the latest news, reviews, charts, and more. Run, do not walk! To make sure of your order now. So, listener, run, do not walk
1: to make sure that you listen to the next episode of the podcast. <laughs> that you place your order at your news agents for the next episode of this podcast. At
0: iTunes. Does, at iTunes. Does, um, does Abby's copy, by the way, have the giant-sized double-sided poster?
1: No! No such, oh, no tragic. such thing. Tragic! We're never Can you remember, remember what, what it, it looked was? like then. So that's all from us for another episode. Uh, We'll be reading issue three next, of course, um, which I found to be a quite interesting one. I think it's a quite good one. So I'll see you then. Our opening music is synchronised by Sonic the comic The Band, Go and look them up at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. I'm Demon Tomato Dave on Twitter and YouTube and Twitch and things like that.
0: And if you want to follow me, I am Chris McFeely on Twitter, and also on YouTube as well. And real life. Yes, he's Chris McFeely in real
1: life as well. You are not Demon Tomato Dave on your birth certificate. No, that's not a name. No, that's not a real name.